Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Nation, welcome to another episode of the Collaborative Warriors podcast. He's Brady. I'm Jazz. Before we jump into things, don't forget, you can check us out online at goldenstateofmind.com. Brady and I will have you covered throughout the season, whether it's breaking news, analysis, stats, game recaps, anything, you name it, we're there. And of course, you can check out our audio portion of this on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, pretty much all anywhere you get your fix. Brady, let's jump into things by talking about the big news. Steph Curry, Kelly Oubre Jr., both doubtful. Uh, both ended up getting hurt in the weird win against the Rock. How do you lose 18 straight? Yeah, that's brutal. Anyways, that's a topic for another day. But the Steph Curry thing, what are they doing at the Toyota Center? And why is it set up like that? There's not at least a barrier. So a guy doesn't go tumbling backwards onto steel steps. And especially more important for us as, as Warriors guys, it's Steph Curry. Come on, Toyota Center. What are you guys doing there? You know, it's kind of funny because like every time a player in normal years when there are fans in the stands, every time a player falls into the into the first row and lands on someone's popcorn or whatnot. I always think like, why do we have fans so close to the floor? This is dangerous for everyone. What are we doing? And then after that happened, Steve Kerr basically said like, Curry fell backwards because you're so used to just falling backwards and having fans there to catch you in the first row. And there weren't any fans there to catch him. And so he lands on his tailbone instead of on a fan. And suddenly I'm like, man, who knew all along that these prime courtside seats were really just important safety barriers for our star players. Yeah, we need them to absorb falls for guys like Steph Curry. We don't care about your $14 beer or your $19 bag of popcorn. Just make sure the guys aren't getting hurt. But keep honestly, them I, safe. Yeah, keep them safe. But I'll, I'll be real with you. I, I, I was not impressed with the fact that they had that there because I didn't even notice it. Don't get me wrong. I don't think anybody would have before the game, but or even during the game. But once you see that, it's like, come on, like this, this shouldn't be happening. Uh, more importantly for the Warriors, though, by the way, Steve Kerr did say that Ubre ended up getting kicked in the foot. So he's dealing with a bit of an issue, doubtful for the Friday and Saturday games against the Memphis Grizzlies. These are two big ones, right? If you're looking at the at the standings, the, the dubs are right there. They're sitting at 21 and 20, uh, ninth in the Western Conference, only a game up on Memphis. And we have been talking about this, you know, just on our own throughout messages and, and, and going through kind of what we're looking at the, the Warriors schedule, because coming up, they got a pretty easy one, you know, compared, I mean, obviously Houston, and again, 18 in a row, come on, what is going wrong in, in Houston? But you got Memphis, Memphis, a tough one against the Sixers. Then you got the Kings, Hawks, Bulls, and then you got Miami. It's like they got a good schedule coming up in the next month here. I was hoping they'd be able to make up some room. What do you think the best case scenario is? Now you got to remember, without Curry, Oubre, James Wiseman, Eric Pascal, what's the best case scenario for the Dubs this weekend? Man, that's so hard when you're losing four players. I didn't think losing Pascal and Wiseman was that big of a deal. Um, especially with the games they have coming up. And now you take your best player out of the lineup, another starter out of the lineup and Kelly Oubre. And it's just, oof, that's not good. Uh, I still think they can split the series with Memphis. Um, you know, they, Memphis is okay, but they're not, they're not really anything special. Uh, I still think it's, those are winnable games. You know, Memphis is obviously going to be favored. Um, but I think, I think you can, you can split those games. You probably lose to Philly, even though I, I think Joel Embiid will still be out. Mm -hmm. I'm not. I'm not sure, but yeah. still, I mean, that's a talented team. Um, 
really you kind of just have to hope that you tread water long enough that um, you can get your players back in a week and then hit on but, some of those bad teams that you were mentioning. Well, let, let me ask you this. Do, doesn't it feel like the Warriors have kind of been treading water throughout the season? You know what I mean? And, and I think for, for me, you know, watching every game and, 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 you know, seeing how they're playing, it's been a weird struggle. Like it's been a weird struggle in the sense that they just haven't been able to look good for three or four games in a row. Like even if they won two and then their third one, it's like they're losing, but they're losing by 15. They're losing by 20. And it's not like, oh, wow, they had a good effort there and they just came up short against a better team. We've seen them beat the Lakers. We've seen them beat the Clippers. We've seen them beat the Utah Jazz, but they can't do it on a consistent basis. So like I'm looking at this right now, where what do you think is a realistic target for them to finish in the Western Conference? Like, do, do you think they're a shoe in right now to even get one of the top 10 spots so they're in the seven to 10 play in range? I hesitate to say shoe in, but I do. I do think they are just because not because of anything that they're doing particularly well, but just because if you look at where they are right now, there's just a drop off between the top 10 and the bottom five, right? Right now, Warriors are ninth, Grizzlies are 10th. And then it's the Pelicans behind that. The Pelicans are three and a half games behind the Warriors, two and a half games behind the Grizzlies. And then behind that, you've got Thunder Kings, Rockets, Wolves. I could see the Pelicans putting a string together. They've got the talent. Those other four teams, they're not going to do it. Like, I think we can just count those, those four out. So really, you have 11 teams competing for 10 spots, and the Warriors already have a, a significant lead over the Pelicans in, in the standings. And even with these injuries, even with with players gone with the COVID protocol, I just think that the Warriors have a weak enough schedule. You're going to presumably have, you know, Curry back after a few games and you get him for the final, you know, 30 or so games. I just think that mixed with with the weak schedule and, and how weak the West is after that top 10. I don't see any way that they fall out of the playoffs. I still think they can get as high as maybe the sixth seed, but you know, every day that looks a little bit more, more grim. Um, but I think they will get at least into the top half of the playing games. I think into the seven or eight spot. I just, you know, I don't have a lot of faith in this team, but they did have one of the hardest schedules up to this point. They've been treading water. Like you said, they've got one of the easiest schedules in the league going forward. If you can tread water with a brutal schedule, you should be able to gain some ground once the schedule eases up a little bit. And, and I think that will happen. Yeah, and I, I think that they'll start to get stringed together some wins. I mean, they're 21 and 20 right now. They got, uh, you know, 31 games left. Let's be realistic. To get maybe up to the six seed, you probably have to win 20 or 21 of those, I would assume, just to make up some ground and then be able to stay ahead because other teams are going to get hot. I also think, you know, over those 31 games, if they go 17 and 14, 16 and 15, like you said, I think they'll at least get into a top 10. But I know... Joe Lacob and a lot of the Warriors are like, yo, just try and get into one playoff series so we can get some fans into, into yep. the Chase Center. We can make back some revenue from what we lost this season. So I know they're pulling for it. And again, at this point, you're kind of playing with fool's gold, right? Because they have their own first round pick, right? And, you know, they have the, uh, sorry, the Minnesota, the top three protected pick. So, you know, you're hoping if that either goes to four or five, you're going to get a very good player because it's a, it's a pretty top heavy draft this in 2021. And then looking at next season, I don't see the Timberwolves turning things around. You could also hope that if they do get a top three pick this year, that parlays into an unprotected in 2022. And again, you know, I wrote about this in, on the Ubre piece that I wrote earlier in the week for Golden State of Mind, which is, okay, let's look to see, you know, what the long-term goal is right now. Because I, I wouldn't mind with that pick. And I'm honestly looking at it like this. Keep the pick. 
Like you don't need to necessarily trade it. I think if you get if you get Clay back and he's healthy, even 70, 80% of what he is, and Steph's rolling the way he is, Draymond, again, offensively super limited, but doing pretty well in terms of his overall impact on the team. Then you got Wiseman going into year two and you get another rookie coming in. That round out, rounds out the rotation and not only gives you a base for the next three or four seasons, but 10 seasons if Wiseman gets up to his potential and whoever you get in the upcoming draft. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. You know, we've talked about this before about how the Warriors kind of trying to follow the Spurs model a little bit here, trying to capitalize on this window, but most importantly, keep the window open for another 5, 10, 20 years, whatever. And, and I think with with the draft pick, I mean, there were there was the report, I think, yesterday from Ramona Shelburne that the Warriors wouldn't trade James Wiseman unless it were for a young all-star. And, you know, it was kind of like a no-duh report. But, you know, I think that kind of applies for the, for that draft pick as well. Maybe they consider moving that with Wiseman or with someone else if it can get you an all-star, which in all likelihood, that's just probably not going to be there. And so if that's not there, you take those great assets for rebuilding and you retool with them while still keeping your championship window open now and you start to get a player that you can pair with James Wiseman five years down the road to make sure that this is still a championship team even when Steph Curry is no longer Steph Curry what about would you like I'm just hypothetically throwing this out there would you do a Bradley Beal trade for the Minnesota pick James Wiseman some other future assets for Bradley Beal at this point knowing that you'll have Bradley Beal Clay and and Steph Curry, Andrew Wiggins, possibly. I mean, again, they'd have to make the salaries work, so he would likely get shipped out. But would you look at doing that right now? Or you're just like, nah, I'm, I'm gonna keep, I'm gonna stick with a guy like Wiseman because of the potential that he has. Man, that that's such a hard one, and that's the name that keeps coming up, right? And and you know, it's it's exciting because that team would be so good next year. Uh, but you also run into the issue of how do you survive beyond two or three years uh, when? All of your talent is max contract players who are getting older, uh, past their prime, past their peak. And and you just, it's hard not to see that team being horrible in maybe four years, even if you are maximizing your championship window uh, in the short term. So uh, I really don't know. My worry there is how bad defensively the team would be. if Because Wiggins is, you know, for all his faults this year, he's proven to be a good defensive player. Beal is not a good defensive player. You pair Beal with Curry in the backcourt, and you're just in trouble going against good backcourts. You have to move Clay down to the three, where he's probably not quite as good as he is at the two. Yeah, I don't know. I don't have a good answer for that one, to be honest. If, if, if that were on the table and they did it, I would totally get it. And if that were on the table and they rejected it, I would totally get it. Wow, what a strong answer, Brady. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, thanks, for, thanks for giving us a good, good one to that question. You come here for the, for the hard <laughs> answers, the, the yeses and the noes, and I am here to just, just take the easy way out and, and say, meh. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. You're in we'll the middle it. of the crowd. But, okay, one guy I want to ask you, and you're going to have an opinion on this one. Jordan Good. Poole, he's been great since he's been called up, averaging 19 points a game, uh, shooting the rock well, shooting 45%, almost 46 from beyond the arc. Uh, sustainable or no? Because you're mentioning if they can get a split this week against, or this weekend, pardon me, against Memphis, he's going to have to be one of the guys because he's really the only creator from the backboard who can get off his own shot. So do you think this is going to be sustainable from what we've seen from him so far? Um. I'm going to hedge a tiny bit again because, you know, I'm, I'm being rude and doing that, but, and say kind of, <laughs> um, I, I've, I'll be honest. I've always been pretty high on Jordan Poole. Uh, even last year he had a horrible rookie year and I, I liked him. I, I, you know, I accepted that he was bad 
but I liked what I saw from him. I thought the playmaking was impressive. I thought he showed some signs on defense and really what hurt him was his shot wasn't falling. And that was the thing that he did do well in college was make shots. So I thought, you know, that's the thing that's going to come back. Um, so I've been expecting this from him now, 19 points per game off the bench on 45% shooting from deep. I'm not sure that level is sustainable, but I, I really do think that he is a player who can be a strong bench weapon for the next year or two, and then maybe even blossom into, you know, probably not an all-star, but a quality starting combo guard. Um, but it's going to be an interesting test for him. Like you said, this weekend, uh, he's going to have a bigger role. He's I'm assuming going to be in the starting lineup. Um, and he's, you know, probably going to be playing 36, 38 minutes a night and having the ball in his hands a lot and being asked to maybe be the team's go-to scorer, which is kind of crazy. If you had said that before the season, they still have Andrew Wiggins in case people are forgetting. And now we're talking about, oh, <laughs> Steph Curry's out. It might be the Jordan Poole's your go-to scorer now. Well, you know, I, I, the what he's shown, and it's just the way he plays, it's a confidence, right? And, and I think at points when he was, you know, coming into the league and, and even earlier this season, he had irrational confidence. Like he was, he was pushing things, forcing it a little bit too much. And then you can tell when he was playing against, I think the higher level competition, when he was getting some meaningful minutes, he almost wilted at that point. Like in terms of, he was, he wanted to shoot the ball, but everything was hesitant. He would, you know, instead of going right up with the ball, it was kind of like, a, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, kind of pull it back a little bit. And I'm, I'm seeing a difference in him and spending that time in the G league, you know, he's averaging 20 plus points per game there. I think that did wonders for him. And I think I agree with you. I, I think he has the, the tools and the skill set now being able to add that to the mental fortitude. And there's a bunch of different factors that will result in him getting to another level. Like you're saying, I just don't know if I've seen that from him yet, but I'm expecting him to try and score 30, 35 a game this, you know, anytime Steph is out. So he is going to be the key to the win. Another guy I want to talk about with you is, is rookie Nick, Nico Mannion. Um, he's starting to get some run now too, because, you know, Steve Kerr was like, yeah, my, Second unit, let's be honest, is not very good. I can use a lot of other words for that, but we'll go with the PG, <laughs> we'll go with the PG version for it. But, uh, you know, he decided, hey, you know what? Let's get these kids out there. Again, not giving you too much on the offensive end, but in terms of effort, and he's not there quite defensively, but, I mean, it, you know, he reminds me a little bit of Alex Caruso. Like, he's a valuable player like that. Like, he's not going to give you a whole ton of, of offensive production, but he's going to give you effort. He'll make the right plays, and he'll kind of do the right thing. Where do you see him being a couple years down the road? Do you think he'll be – I don't want to, I, I, I'm not going to be ridiculous to even sit there and say he's a starting quality guard at any point in his career. That's a strong take right there, Brady, by the way, just so you know. Uh, Put some money on it. Yeah, Put some yeah. money on it, Jasper. But, money where your mouth is. Well, he could is. be a starter on the Minnesota Timberwolves if they're sitting at nine and 30. <laughs> Jazz, but you could be a starter on the Minnesota exactly, Timberwolves. Exactly, exactly. I'll play four minutes a game, maybe get one bucket and I'll be good. But I, I look at, I look at Mannion like, okay, if you can develop him into a guy who gives you 10, 12 minutes a night on a, on a good team. And that's including next season when they're hopefully fully healthy with Clay and Steph and whatever changes they make. Do you think he'll be a part of the team still, let's say three, four seasons down the road? Or is it like, yeah, we're just getting him some run because this is all we got at this point. Yeah, I think he will, to be honest. I mean, it's always so hard to say with, you know, he's a 19 year old. He's played a handful of NBA games. He was a second round pick. Uh, you know, there are so many players who look interesting and then, you know, whether they fall off or there's just not space on the roster. I mean, you look at Omari Spellman last year and everyone was like, oh, this is, this guy's providing something really interesting for the offense. And then, well, you need to save money. So you get rid of him. And now he hasn't played an NBA game since. <laughs> and so they're just, that happens so often that, you know, I, I don't think you can really say for sure, but I like the Alex Caruso comp. And, and truthfully, the thing that I really like about Nico, he just looks comfortable. Um, you know, 
you expect a rookie to be a little uncomfortable, but you, I feel like you can still see with, with some young players when they just have a feel for the game. And you watch Nico out there relative to, you know, not to throw someone under the bus, but say an Alan Smilogic, and throw him under the of, bus, Brady. Throw him <laughs> under the bus. That's I, what I've, <laughs> I've stood up for, for Alan Smilogic so many times. So I hate to be the one to throw him under the bus when everyone's throwing him under the bus, but we're going to throw him under the bus. He doesn't look at all comfortable out there. You know, he goes out there and you're like, oh gosh, you look like you're it's like someone's playing a video game with you and they're like, they press the button and then you go over there and then they press the button and you go over there. And Nico, he, he looks comfortable. He looks fluid. He looks like he understands the game offensively and defensively. You know, ultimately, will he have the talent to fit that? That remains to be seen. I like what I've seen so far. I think he's got good mechanics shooting. I think he's a good playmaker. He's averaging, I think, over eight assists per 36 minutes. Um, you know, the defense will hopefully come around. But, you know, to me, he he looks like the a solid, smart bench player who just understands the game and can give you some some quality minutes yeah I'm, I'm with you on that i think he looks and again i think the g league the time for him there did did a lot for him too a lot of good because you know learning and and, and i think a lot of the difficulties nba players have when they're coming up out of college not i'm not, I'm not talking like the you know the surefire guys like zion or, or you know top 10 picks but you're looking at guys second round it's like a, the, the physical aspect, which you can see he's a bit smaller right now. He's got to get stronger. But just learning the game, the positioning, um, the little nuances that you have to know, okay, like the screen setting. And I think, like you're mentioning, to me, he comes across as a very intelligent guy coming in as a second-round pick. So I, I do see him, at least for next season, getting a, a chance to back up Steph because he's done enough so far that it looks like Steve Kerr is beginning to give him some trust. So once they get a little bit more talent into the, into the backcourt, that remains to be seen. But as of right now, yeah, I mean, I could see how he projects to be at least a bench guy. I want to talk to you about this as well. The trade deadline coming up March 25th. Uh, again, the Warriors kind of in no man's land, but I do feel like they want to at least get into the postseason. And, and I've said this before, and we've talked about it. Dude, if you get to see Steph in a, in a playoff series, he's probably going to steal two games on his own, at least. You know what I mean? And then the Warriors, if they can all play that well and everything comes together, they might be able to pull off an upset, right? So for me, I, I think that's what they're looking at. But if you're Bob Myers, do you look at this and say, hey, okay, number one, I'm trying to build for the future. We're not winning a championship this year. So I'm going to look at shipping off a guy like Kelly Oubre, who with the current roster construction is going to be hard to replace in terms of similar production value. Or do you look at it and say, Hey, you know what? I'm going to keep Oubre, even though he probably will walk at the end of the season. Like it's not a guarantee. Nothing is, but looking like it just in terms of the team's cap situation, the luxury tax bill, they're going to have to pay. There's a lot of factors to it, but what would you do with, with Oubre right now? If you were Bob Myers, truthfully, I would I would focus less on this year and just try to hone in on what the reality is of the offseason. So I would go to Steve Kerr and say, is this a guy who fits on our team? Is this a guy we should be trying to keep long-term? And I would go to Joe Lacob and say, hey, you're paying five yachts worth of taxes every year. Do you want to buy yachts or do you want to keep paying taxes? <laughs> and if they both agree, hey, we should be shelling out this money and keeping Kelly Oubre, then I think you have to go into the offseason with him, hope that you can talk him into sticking around for a sixth-man role, maybe even a slightly reduced um, amount of pay. If Steve Kerr says, no, he doesn't fit our system, it's not going to work. Or Joe Lacob says, no, I'm tired of these tax bills. I want to live like a billionaire. I think you have to ship him. It's going to hurt in the short term, but I think you just you have to prioritize the long term. Jordan Poole's playing great. Slide him into the the spot into the two guard spot and let him grow uh in the deep end of the pool if you need to 
pardon the pun, it, it's going to hurt short term. But I, I think if you're a smart team, you have to know what your realistic ceiling is. Like you said, they're not going to win a championship this year. So you just, I think you just have to be cold with Uber and figure out what the plan is next year and address that at the trade deadline. Yeah, I think it's, and like you're mentioning, you know, Joe Lacob, obviously extremely deep pockets, hasn't been worried. And that's one, any fan of a team, you want your owner being like, yeah, whatever the resources 100%. you need, I'll, I'll put it in. I also, I'm looking at it, like I said, again, we don't know. I mean, things we were talking a bit before we started recording, you know, things are progressing pretty well, not only in California, just across the country in terms of with uh, the vaccine and, and the cases are starting to come down. So we could see fans in the, in the, in the building. And I, I conceivably could see maybe even a 50% full chase center come time for May, June, you know, if, as we're getting there, depending on what they want to do with, with vaccines and people have to show that they're vaccinated before they come into the arena. So I, and I do look at it like, he's going to be like, okay, dude, I've spent a lot of money. Like, let me try and recoup some of this. You know what I mean? So, and yep. that's why I think they're looking at the bottom line where, Again, you're not in a position like you're you're a Sacramento or you're Minnesota that you're completely rebuilding, totally fine punting the season and trying to get a top five pick almost what the Dubs did last season. That that would just by default because of injuries. But I'm looking at it like I think they're going to try and do this in a business way, which is sure if we can trade Uber, but it's not going to kill our team when we get some sort of piece back that we at least can get into one seven game playoff series. I definitely think the, the, the Dubs will, will look at it at that point. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, you have to explore all your options. We've seen this with every good franchise that is able to stay at a contending level for more than a few years. You have to explore all your options every year. You have to take every phone call. You have to entertain every trade offer. And you have to sometimes make some cold decisions and get rid of some players that you might love. Uh, you know, it's, it's the New England Patriots specialty, even if that metaphor doesn't work as well this season as maybe it in worked past for 20 seasons. seasons. We can give yeah. them the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. We can give them the benefit yeah. of the doubt, right? 20. Good one, bad, it works. But, um, <laughs> you know, I, I'm also curious, though, you know, maybe they make some smaller moves. They've, you know, they've switched up the rotation. Brad Wanamaker's out of the rotation. Uh, Damian Lee is kind of out of the rotation, except now that players are injured and out. Um, Eric Pascal doesn't seem to be uh, regarded very highly at the moment. You know, maybe they make some moves like they did last year when they just shipped out everyone and brought in a lot of second-round picks. You know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a few small moves even if that big new move never happens and help bring in some more assets yeah and I, I think and again it depends on what their what their vision is and we don't know you know what i'm saying but we're looking at it from from the outside which is hey okay if we can sit here and hang on to that minnesota pick we get another you know we get a couple more assets whether that's for kelly Ubre or like you mentioned an eric pascal that they look to get another can, can we pool that together to put together a more enticing package for an established star, maybe not a total veteran, but like you mentioned, a younger guy. So mm -hmm. I think it's going to depend on what, what they're talking about. I'm sure they're having these discussions because that's one thing with the Warriors uh, since, you know, this new regime has taken over, they always seem to be at least one step ahead and, and they're planning for the future. So I'm interested to see that the three main things I have learned during this episode, number one, Steph Curry is still great. Uh, I look at the Warriors right now without him, they wouldn't be 21 and 20. They'd be something like seven and 34 or eight and 33. And that's not even a stretch. So he's not going to get any votes for MVP because the NBA, typically the award winner gets it for the team has one of the best records in the league. Number two, yes, they need a big upgrade because Brad Wanamaker has no business being on the court, especially when you're seeing Steph Curry play point guard. And then you see this guy come in and ruin everything. And number three, we both desperately need to get haircuts. So yes, Barbers of Los Angeles, we are going to come out this weekend before we record the next episode. So we're not walking through with a shaggy look and, and wings hanging out the side of our heads. Is that a deal? I, I think that's a really good deal. Our, <laughs> our fans deserve that jazz. 
<laughs> All right. Well, this does it for this episode of the Collaborative Warriors podcast. Don't forget, you guys can check us out on Golden State of Mind. You can also subscribe to our YouTube page. And we're also on the audio side of things. You can catch us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, you name it, we're there. And don't forget, Brady and I will have you covered throughout the Warriors season at goldenstateofmind.com.